Speaking the truth to the state capitol, this is Drive Time Lincoln with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, Tuesday, August 2nd, it is a scorcher out there. There's a heat advisory. 100, says the machine. Um, I always go by the car because the car sits out there longer and tends to get baking. I think mine was at 105 when I got in it to come to the studio. So let's just put it somewhere between 100 and 110 on the index. Kids, if you're going to sports tonight, hydrate, hydrate. Coaches, water breaks, and realize down on the ground, depending. If you're on a grass field, might be 105. If you're on one of those turf fields, you might be looking at 115 heat index. But uh, it's hot, so uh, everybody should be able to get stretched out <laughs> and do what you got to do. But it's a good day to take it easy. And there's a lot going on, but... Even though it's Twitter Tuesday, we have a very special guest in the Nebraska State College system. The Chancellor, Paul Terman, is in. Welcome, Mr. Terman. Well, thank you for having me. You know what? Do you go by Mr. Terman or do you go by Chancellor? Probably Chancellor Terman. Um, it depends. <laughs> a lot of times I just go by Paul, but I, if, make, I make my wife call me Chancellor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. If you run into students in one of your colleges, uh, what do they say? Chancellor? Uh, most, Mr. Terman? Most of the time they don't know who I am. So, and, and that's a good thing. You know, I think it's the presidents that are responsible for helping kind of manage the campuses. And I work very closely with our three college presidents at Shadron, Peru, and, and Wayne State. Um, but, you know, when I show up, I, I think people certainly respect the position, but also respect that, you know, we're collectively working well here to support Nebraska. Yeah, you bet. We were, you know, I was making a joke coming in because I doing my research and, if you grew up here in Nebraska, and, and and many of us have, and that means many of us have mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles who have gone to different school systems uh, all the way out, you know, from Shadron to Peru and all in between. And so I was like, let's see, I've got Shadron State. I've got, and I said the second one, I go, I've got Carney. Nope, nope, it's not Carney State. It's UNK. No, so you've got Shadron State, Wayne State, and Peru State. Correct, yes. Yeah. And uh, so tell us just, first of all, how things are going. Uh, things going very well. You know, I think the I've been here in this position for a little bit more than three and a half years. And so I've gone through my fourth legislative session. Um, very excited about the support that our state colleges get from Governor Ricketts, um, the, the vast number of our senators. Um, wanting to continue to make um, good investments in our state colleges um, because they know that we really do serve the workforce needs of not only the rural areas of the state but across the state combined. So it's it's been going very well despite, you know, I, I get to come in during the historic flooding. Um, I get a call from Peru that their water's out, the water treatment center gets overrun after the levees are destroyed down there. Um, for about six months, they're they're trucking water into the tower to make sure that that campus has what it needs. Um, and then shortly after that, we have the pandemic that comes around. But uh, overall, been very fortunate to have uh, increases in enrollments in all three of those years that I've been here in Nebraska. Yeah, that's a definitely welcome to Nebraska kind of start. Uh, real quick, this is Drive Time Lincoln. I am your host, Jack Riggins. Johnny Cadillac is producing the show. Uh, let's back up real quick because the audience may not know you and where you've come from and kind of your backstory. So um, just give me your background and, and where you were at prior to walking into floods and COVID to take on this job. And obviously in our great state institutions, like I said, I think they touch all Nebraskans. 
I'm originally from a small town in, in western South Dakota and gone on to South Dakota State University for my first two degrees. And then actually my wife and I lived here in, in Lincoln as I went to finish my Ph.D. at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Taught in Iowa for a few years and then went back to my hometown uh, to be with the South Dakota Board of Regents for about 12 years. And then this job came open. So um, transitioned down here in uh, January of 2019 and, and everything's been kind of rosy since then. But um, it's been a, a very good job. I've got a very good board to work for and, and three really good presidents that help kind of shape uh, the lives of their campus community. So you are a Husker. Uh, oh, you can't quite answer that. I don't wear red very often. You don't wear but... red very often. Well, it's like I have my UNL degree. I'm a Husker, but I am also have a KU degree, but I don't really tell many people I have a Rock Chalk Jayhawk. <laughs> don't, just don't do it. I mean, there's a little pin in the house somewhere, but uh, no, that's not my thing. Um, some of the things that you guys have been working towards, some of your strategic initiatives and things, mm-hmm. um, Tell me about that and the growth of working with the legislature and, and kind of where you're heading, what you guys are excited about, proud about. Well, one of the things that my board asked of me when I first arrived here was to do kind of a comprehensive strategic plan for the system. Um, so we brought together about 35 to 36 individuals from across the various campuses, um, alumni, students, uh, faculty, staff, and we sat down and just talked about, you know, what are the respective goals that we have? What is it that if people were saying they're funding the state colleges at this level, what do they expect on a yearly basis? And so we developed four kind of broad outcomes. And then from that, we drilled down into specific performance metrics to connect to each one of those. So as an example, our first one is student success mm-hmm. um, in completion. And so we want to uh, increase the number of students that we retain in our system. We want to grow our, increase our graduation rates, but we also want to grow the number of graduates that we have. And then we've kind of drilled down to certain segments of our student population. We want to do that better for the Pell eligible students that we have. And we want to do better in terms of the pathways we have for uh, transfer students from the community colleges that we attract from. And so we've set some benchmarks. We looked at what the last 10 years have looked like before I arrived and where we want it to go um, out to 2025. And so one of the things that you know I think we shared with you is our economic impact yep. study. Um, one of the th- factors that we've incorporated is we want to make sure that we're having the type of economic impact over time that we've had over the last decade. And the only way for us to have done that was really just kind of a multiplier that a lot of times systems or institutions use. And so we reached out to a company called EMSI or MZ and asked them to bring in their methodology and really evaluate the type of impact that the state colleges are having on the Nebraska um, state system. Um, based on the type of revenue we get from the state to support our operation. And so what they were able to show us is that we're, we have about an annual economic impact, about $560 million a year. Um, when you put that in terms of the 55 to $56 million of support we get from the state, from the general fund, that's about for every dollar that we get, we generate an economic impact of about $10 for the state. Yeah, you're 10 times over. Yes. That, that, that's yep. very nice work. Yeah, and our multiplier for our strategic plan was roughly at about 6.5% um, or 6.5 times what our state investment was. And so I think the study um, did a really nice job of drilling down into the vo- various local economies. And so not just what are we doing to impact the system or the state, um, how does each one of the different institutions influence the region that they're in? Mm-hmm. Um, so as an example, like Wayne State College, it's economic impact alone is about $265 million for the state. 
Um, and so uh, our presidents get the opportunity to use that with their alumni as they're talking about how to continue to give back to the institution, um, as well as how do we support the region and make sure that the types of degree programs that they have are meeting the respective needs that they have. And so we get that same type of compounding at the other two institutions as well. Yeah, one of the things um, I've always noticed is Nebraskans are really proud, whether it be their high school, their town, or where they go for you know, secondary education, or even in the skills trade, you know, where they learn their skills trade. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's a place that's, you know, on national TV, you know, Shadron State means a heck of a lot to just that town, Wayne State to Wayne, Peru to Peru. And then you expand that out as you're talking about. So I, I would think that that carries over into alumni support and as well as uh, networking for future job opportunities. And then, of course, giving back and sharing ideas to help make uh, each place better within the system. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I, I experienced that here living in Lincoln. You think that they are really just serving their rural communities. But I wear our apparel from our three colleges around town. And it's not uncommon for a go Bobcat from oh, yeah. uh, uh, walking around in Menards or talking to teachers in the school district on which the institutions they've been uh, gotten their educational training from. And so we, we do really make a, a comprehensive statewide and also region wide type of um, experience. We actually had one of the teachers um, in Pierre uh, who was a counselor. She had gotten a degree from Peru. Her husband worked for the High School Activity Association. He had gotten his degree from Peru, and now he's the athletic director for Omaha Public Schools. Mm -hmm. um, they finally have come back to the region. And so it's, it's just really exciting to run across people and hear the stories that they've had and how much um, they really are committed to the institutions they had gotten their training from. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I don't think... Uh I think everybody wears their colors, so to speak, and wears them proud and um, all over the state. And, and it creates a lot of different, you know, just little tweak diversity stories. But there are different regions of Nebraska, you know, whether it be the metropolitan area of Omaha, you know, that's a little different than Lincoln. And mm -hmm. then all of the, for lack of a better term, boroughs or regions, you know, out west with, you know, ag and and uh, ranching, and we have some of that around here as well, and I'm probably missing it, manufacturing. I mean, there's just a lot going on in Nebraska. One of the things I know in your report was um, the jobs that are supported as well. Yes. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting because I do a lot on the show and have helped champion things here in Lincoln, which is job skill development, even starting in high school, and then through different outreach programs, and then the community colleges. But then when we go on to advanced degrees and four-year degrees, you know, these different tiers of skill sets, mm -hmm. so that young people enter the workforce ready to go. And I don't think that young people always see the workforce as diverse as it is, just partly because they're young and they haven't experienced it. But that's a big push in Nebraska in general from the governor on down is mm -hmm. to train Nebraskans at all levels and keep that talent in the state. Absolutely. And I think that's the it's the economic report showed that it was about 10,500 jobs that have a direct or indirect impact from the investment that is made into the state colleges. So that's our own employees, it's students, um, but it's also everything that kind of dominoes out from that, the farm economy that's needed to support it, the health industry, the educational uh, uh uh, the small school districts in the area. And on top of that, I think one of the things we really are pushing right now is we worked with the legislature this last year to establish an attainment goal for mm -hmm. the state of Nebraska. 
Um, and what we said was 70% of the citizens in the state, we want to have some uh, credential above high school. Mm-hmm. That could be an apprenticeship, that could be an associate degree, a diploma um, from one of our community colleges, but also four-year degrees and master's degrees. And how do we entice more students to come and pursue that because that's what's ultimately going to keep this state uh, its economy evolving the way that it needs to so you don't get to those h3 the high skill high demand high jobs without the type of credentials that that our state colleges are able to help infuse into the local economy and also the region itself yeah um you know i think one of the promising things from our data um, in our strategic plan we not only look at how many graduates are we producing but how many of those students are staying in the state of Nebraska once they've graduated? So our most recent data from the Department of Labor shows that it's like 83% of if you bring them from Nebraska, get them a degree, within one year they'll be employed in the state of Nebraska. And that's actually up to 85% when we wow. look at those that are in the high-skill areas that the governor and, say, like uh, director, uh, economic development director Tony mm-hmm. Goins, um, what they advocate we need to continue to invest in. And so... I think the nice thing is I was very fortunate. I think I had arrived and we had pitched to the governor. My staff had pitched to the governor um, uh, a Nebraska forward, a Nebraska future workforce development. Mm-hmm. Um, he was really enticed by that. And what he did is he created what he described as the talent scholarship program. We were able to get that successfully um, through the legislature the first year. But we came back together with the university system, the community colleges and the state colleges and the governor um, and then he repackaged that as the career scholarship program that we now, for the last two years, the state has been investing a um, million dollars the first year, two million dollars last year, and then it grows to three million dollars after the legislature approved that this year. You know, we're seeing um, our ability to invest in seven key workforce areas like business administration, um, education, criminal justice, industrial technology. Those are the types of things we can entice more students to pursue those paths because the state is actually investing in that. Um, and, and money money talks and, and has a big impact. Sure. And those students are expected to do an internship before they graduate, which means we're going to get them connected with a business here in the state. And if we can do that and businesses give them a meaningful experience, then we know we're going to be able to keep them here much longer. So 83% sounds good. I bet we can get that hopefully to 90% in the next few years. Well, uh, that's this a, to me, that's a surprising number, but a good number. Very good and, number. And I think one of the things, uh, there's going to be people in the audience going to beat me up for saying this. But here's the deal, folks. This is why this is good. And this is why you don't want free college, just random free college. Because college and education or skill development or certifications needs to lead to something. And what the chancellor is saying is that we as a state are invested in your development, right? And we are building programs that are not only funded for those skills and to go through our state college system, but it is built so that you are doing internships, so that you are networking for it to end in job placement. And now you're in the big economy. And that's what we're all, doesn't matter what age we are, that's what we all have strived have dedicated to whatever dream you want to do but see it's attached to something it's not just open-ended and that's a real good program not only by you guys in vision but for the state to jump on board as well yeah and uh, we were very fortunate that the, the governor really buys and it fits his you know he's got mm-hmm. a strong kind of return on investment type of approach roi yep, yep demonstrate <laughs> that it's going to have the the impact that we're really looking for 
Um, and it was it was an easy sell. And then you get a Senator Stinner and a, a vast number of, of legislators. Senator Aguiar this last year out of Grand Island, mm-hmm. he actually got it put in a state, state statute, LB 906. Um, and so now we've got the capacity for that program really to, to be there into the future for us. And I think it always comes down to skin in the game. Yeah. So to do students have a little bit of skin in the game, and the state's going to invest a little bit more to get you into the degree programs that we know we need the most um, to keep this economy growing in the way that it needs to. So yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. You know, I wasn't I wasn't aware of it in the, in the way you describe it, um, the broad terms about retention of Nebraskans and and education, but it's starting to make sense now, and I really hope for the audience um, they're kind of picking up this because again, what I like is the linkage between the state school system and and the state and the leaders in the state and thinking long-term, mid-term with our state economy. And that benefits us all when it's working good, you know, without a doubt. Hey, we've got uh, Chancellor from the State College System, Paul Terman, on. He's going to continue to be on, and uh, we'll keep kind of getting the highlights. I'm definitely going to ask him about some challenges in the state college system because there's always challenges. Um, and we'll just keep rolling on Drive Time Lincoln. It is Twitter Tuesday uh, on the text line. If you have some nominees, um, shoot them in over the break. Um, probably won't even get to them till the end of the show, so you've probably got 30 minutes. Just hit the text line, uh, 402-479-1400, and we'll pick a winner. 1499 klin You're getting the 411 from DTL. With Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, Tuesday, August 2nd, it's 528. Still 100 degrees out. It's going to be a hot one. Uh, quick two minutes here before Carl- Carla James gets to the news. Um, I hope you listened to the show yesterday. If you didn't, go to KLIN.com. Drive Time Lincoln, the podcast. We had Tunnels for Towers uh, Lincoln on, if you will. A great story um, of the Herrera family and Officer Mario Herrera, who was killed in the line of duty, and what the organization out of New York, Tunnel for Towers, um, that a lot of us see on TV, what they did for the Herrera family, paying off their mortgage, and then the Herrera family and um, Carrie Herrera and her sister Melissa Woods starting Tunnels for Tower Lincoln, and their 5K coming up August 27th. So now they're paying it forward to raise awareness uh, for the organization that has helped them. It's a phenomenal story. Um, Like I said, either go to the uh, 1400 KLIN app and download it and listen there, or go to KLIN.com. Again, they're at $31,000 raised. I want to get them to $50,000. They've got 306 people signed up. I want to get... 500 people signed up for that 5k walk slash run um you're going to have all the first responders lpd national guard and the great community of lincoln out there supporting this cause and it'll just be a fun event um and let's be honest all you have to do is finish so it's just a walk on august 27th but we're going to have them back on and i just thought it was a really good interview um with the herrera family to open up with what was a difficult time, but I think what you're seeing is, um, you know, that's not defining them. What's defining them is spreading the word of resources that are out there and how you move forward from a tragedy. And also pretty awesome story with local brewery and Batch 1205. So um, listen to that. 1,499.3 KLIN.
with the commander, Jack Riggins, on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. All right, we're back on here, second segment with... uh, the Chancellor of the State College System, uh, Chancellor Paul Terman, uh, welcome back. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're having a good conversation. Getting educated, um, one of the biggest things I learned in the first segment, and I hope the listeners, both parents and young people, um, understood the linkages uh, between really skill and education development feeding back into Nebraska and the already high rate of, of return we have up in the 80s, 83, 85%, mm. but the state's investment in that as well. And so you you and the state system have created a, a nice mechanism for young people to grow and flourish and then return right into jobs and get started helping with the economy, which I said, a, a good economy in Nebraska is good for all Nebraskans. Correct. And I think one of the unique things that the way in which the governor and the legislature designed that program is it gives each one of the campuses flexibility on how to integrate it into mm-hmm. their area. So just as an example, uh, President Ramis at Wayne State College had been working with the Norfolk community on something they refer to as growing together. And so it's a comprehensive scholarship program where students come to Wayne State, do their first three years, and then they are living and um, engaging in a comprehensive like 18-credit hour uh, cooperative educational experience in Norfolk during that final year. So they get infused into the into the businesses and the communities that they're going to ultimately work for with a goal that if we get them living there too, they're ultimately going to stay. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things uh, Senator Aguiar pushed to have something similar happen in Grow, Grand Island, and he refers to it as the Grow Grand Island initiative. Okay. So they're going to begin to infuse similar types of cooperative uh, educational experiences down into that community here. Um, starting this next year. And out at Shadron, they're doing a rural business leadership um, initiative um, focused on ag business, uh, rangeland science. And so each one of our colleges has looked at, you know, the businesses and the communities that they serve, engage with them, focus groups, and really tried to tailor various programs um, specifically to that and then use those career scholarship dollars to help entice students to come and, and participate in those. Yeah, every time I think of Shadron, my dad uh, that raised me grew up in Shadron. Oh, okay. And uh, so I have some family. They've all passed on, but I, I spent plenty of time up in Shadron, and, and I love the area. It's it's such a, a beautiful part of our state, and to be honest, access right up into the Black Hills of South Dakota, which mm-hmm. you know, you're know you probably familiar with as well. Yep. Every time I drive across, it kind of reminds me of home. I and mean, it's a beautiful drive. You drive up through Ogallala oh, yeah. and shift up through the Sand Hills, and you come to really appreciate how beautiful this state is. And each each area distinct in in of itself, but um, it's a very beautiful part of the country. It is, and 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 what I was going to say because I make reference every once in a while to uh, my my rancher friends out west is Shadron to me and Shadron State reminds of that part of our state. And like you said, even up in Valentine and Ogallala, just making your whole way up to the northwest mm-hmm. uh, reminds me of Yellowstone, I call it, oh. the TV show, right? I'm like, <laughs> you know, if Yellowstone was represented in Nebraska, it would be out west, you know, near Shadron and, and all the folks out there. So my point is a unique part of the Nebraska uh, landscape and economy, I'm sure, out there. And it's neat to know they're tailoring you know, for that as well. Yeah. My guess would be Peru too, because Peru has a beautiful campus. It's the one I've probably been to the most, mm-hmm. and uh, it has probably the most beautiful campus that people don't realize. You know where it's located, and 
and its access really both, you know, up to Omaha, to Lincoln, but even Kansas City. I mean, not to say that you want people out of state, but I mean, there's just a lot around there in, in that campus as well. It is. And we have a new president there, President Evans, we hired just a year ago. Um, so right in the middle of the pandemic, uh, President Hansen had decided in 12 years committed to that institution, it was time for him to retire. So we were a little bit fearful on how many uh, candidates we'd get for a small campus like that. But um, uh, almost 90 individuals who applied wow. for that position and four very outstanding candidates that we brought in. And Dr. Evans um, comes from a small town in Indiana, so he's used to rural. His mm -hmm. wife was an editor for um, a quilting journal that was based out of Nebraska, so it was a almost a perfect fit. But I would yeah. agree, um, it's kind of a private school feel in a public institution here in the state of Nebraska, and the first public institution in the state of Nebraska right. two years before the University of Nebraska That's Lincoln right. as well. It, it so very very one. proud f feature that they have there, without a doubt. Um, not Dower, but you mentioned it a little bit. Um, you know, coming into your term as chancellor, we did have the floods. That was a historic event, uh, followed by you know the worldwide pandemic. But what are some of the challenges that you're working through in the state institutions? A couple of different things. I would say that the one that we've been preparing for even before I arrived. So there's an organization out of Colorado. It's called the Western Interstate Commission for Higher Education. Mm -hmm. Every every uh, 10 years, what they do is they establish what the high school graduate projections are for the entire country. Okay. And so with the birth rate calculations and those that go on to get um, degrees and graduate from high school, they can tell you, you know, whether or not you're going to continue to see an increase in the total number of graduates that you can draw from and then educate, or are those numbers going to go down? In about 2027, almost all of higher education has experienced a dramatic drop off this kind of enrollment cliff that is kind of looming for us in the next five to six years. Um, Nebraska, that's delayed a little bit longer. Um, and actually, we don't fall as much as some states. But what we're seeing is that it's due in part to the growth in Hispanic students in the state of Nebraska. So as we prepare for that, I think one of the challenges that I work with my cam campuses on is how do we make our uh, communities and our campuses inviting mm -hmm. um, for students that in the past we've not had a lot of success, not only bringing in and enrolling, uh, but then getting them into their second year and then ultimately toward graduation. So right. we've got to find a way to eliminate some of the gaps that we've got for the overall attainment we have for certain sure. populations in the state. Um, I think one of our, our benefits is that you take like a state like Ohio, the eastern uh, side of the country, we're going to see a dramatic drop of about 600,000 students just gone that we normally get to rely on, which means other states are going to be very aggressive at coming after um, students from states that are going to continue to either grow or plateau, and Nebraska is one of those. And mm -hmm. so we have to be thinking about kind of what are the public policy types of levers that need to be put in place now so that we're not reacting to something a uh, year or two after it's it's happened yeah. and we've now lost uh, a big crop of our students to some other states and so in the military on. we used to always say retain the human capital yes um, so to speak is that and i might just be jumping here because why elon musk popped into my head i don't know but is is that because of birth rates Really? I mean, as a primary uh, nationwide driver? That's one of the major factors. And then it's also, so 
where is the growth, and then you compare that against the typical high school graduation rates. Mm -hmm. So Native American students tend to graduate at lower uh, percentages. Gotcha. Their population will can their birth rate will go up. But then compounding it together, okay. we, we see a, a little bit of a, a drop. So, I mean, one of the other things is getting people used to um, the fact that t- taking out a loan to go to college is a worthwhile investment. Right. Um, a lot of uh, students of color, families, first-generation families are very risk-averse when it sure. comes to borrowing money. Sure. They prefer not to do that. Um, one of the things that, I mean... Our average loan for a student in our system is just over twenty thousand dollars. It's twenty thousand four hundred. Mm-hmm. So that's the price of a modest new car, especially in today's right, economy. Right. That is a very nice uh, new car uh, that you're able to purchase. And the lifespan of of your career, you know, is going to generate you about another million dollars above a high school diploma mm-hmm. by investing in that twenty thousand dollars. And if you get additional revenue from the state to help support that. Sure. So it's finding ways to convince and, and kind of shape that narrative in a little bit different way that the way for you to have social mobility um, as a family and to change kind of the pathway for the, the in your kids to make your life, their life better than it was for you means that higher education has to be a piece of that. And the attainment goal fits into that whole narrative sure. as well. So those sure. are some certainly some challenges. That yeah, we're those are into. some outreach things that I can see, you know, and I was just running the numbers in my head because. Um, I, you know, I had a, a NROTC Navy scholarship paid my tuition, but you still had the living. And so, you know, when I got my commission and, and joined the United States Navy, I was about $10,000 in debt, um, which would be comparable to what you just said today. You know, if you apply that to CPI, that'd be about the exact about, same. About the same. And so I think generally speaking, some of the narrative that's out there is a little a little harsh and false on it. I mean, it's just kind of like you said, I think it's an investment in your future. And, um, and if you do the work and then carry on it, it so pays off. And I think the data shows that and experiences, but I, I would, I, I would bet that in some, um, families, some cultures where it's new, where it's first generation, it's a little bit scary. Um, but there's no doubt about it with a good outreach program. And one of the great things I think in Nebraska and in, in, in your school system, the state school system, is you have communities that are smaller. And, and anytime Nebraskans can integrate with diverse people, what we find is there's so much more similarities and help to help get kind of through that first step mm-hmm. of fear, you know, to then go, okay, hey, you know, Prue State is for me. Shatter State is for me. Wayne State is for me. Um, because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, that would be a big step. And it's nice to know that, you know, thinking about the outreach, thinking about how to how to educate folks to be able to take that leap and and do it. Because once I think they get involved, you know, the sky's the limit. Yeah, I would agree. You mentioned ROTC. I'll give you another example. Um, you know, I think our, the, what we face as kind of challenges is what are the problems that the state is experiencing, uh, whether it be workforce, uh, retaining students, and can we come up with academics pathways to help kind of resolve mm-hmm. those problems. So Matt Miltenberger, he's the chief of staff for the governor, and we were talking with him about the career scholarship program, and he indicated, you know, I work with Director Frakes from the, from the Department of Corrections quite often. Is there anything, Peru is so close to, to Tecumseh, right. is there anything that you and that college could do to help kind of solve the reoccurring kind of uh, overtime and just filtering of employees into that um, uh, facility? 
So work with the faculty, and we've had a number of faculty who had actually worked um, at Tecumseh for a good number of years. Now they're in their criminal justice program. And so we put together and, and came back and pitched to Director Frakes and, and the governor what is called the uh, Peru Corrections Program. And it's designed as a student comes in. It's a very uh, strong scholarship program, $15,000 a year for four years. You come in, you do one year of all your coursework, and then starting that summer, you get trained through the Department of Corrections, and then you start doing a series of uh, internships each semester until you graduate. And so you're going through and you're experiencing all the different facets of the corrections um, program. And you're also, you're being trained in the capacity of really what corrections is there to do. And it's to uh, rehabilitate Mm -hmm. the, the, the inmates. And so at the end of that program, you have a four-year degree that's been pretty much paid for. You're doing paid internships at the facility um, for the remaining three years of your uh, academic career. And then you're eligible for sergeant or higher level uh, positions um, in the corrections uh, operation. And so one of the, it was kind of a joint, we need, we got short-term issues and we got long-term. Okay. Long-term, how do we get more people to pursue corrections as a long-term sure. career path? But also, they've got to address the overtime issues that they're experiencing right. with their... So, in one year, we had 18 students in the first year of the program. They were able to fill almost 6,000 hours of internship experience that helped offset the overtime requirements for a number of the employees that they've had So there. their internship, though, is also probably, is it paid as well? It's paid internship. Yeah, so it's like a part-time job. So it's very much like ROTC, great analogy yes. to where you're getting on-the-job training inside of your formal education at the school. And, you know, if they choose, they have guaranteed job placement at a higher a higher uh rank if you will for a better term but they already know the job and that part-time job is fits right into their educational study absolutely that's a great system yeah so it's the first of its kind in the country and actually it's this week that do you get um, to take credit for that because it is brilliant i will not you know i it was we started to present it to director frakes and um, I think the approach, like, how about we think about training corrections officers the way we do teachers and um, healthcare professionals that we get them in? And it's a clinical experience. Yeah. yeah. And the, the ROTC component kind of came a little bit. This is very similar to it the is. way in which the um, you know you come out and you're able to go right in. And you're a first year lieutenant. Yep. In whichever branch you choose. And so I, I would say it's Matt Miltenberger was adamant about is there, there's got to be something that we can do. Um, and I would say it's the faculty. It's kind of a very collaborative yeah. effort, but it's a program um, that really is enticing to people. I was planning to just go to corrections. Well, here's a way for you to not only get a four-year degree, but be very much prepared to do the, the challenging work that's embedded within a, a corrections facility and meet, you know, and address, I think, some of the criticisms that oftentimes surface out of that. Sure. So Senator McKinney, he's out of Omaha. We had the opportunity to go down to Tecumseh and he met with three or four of our uh, interns that were on duty that day. And I think just from that engagement, you can see how they treat and they interact with the uh, uh, inmates maybe a little bit differently because they've gone through our kind of diversity, yeah. equity, inclusion training. Sure. Um, they get more experience of its small doses and mm-hmm. then 
conversations about what went wrong or right versus now I'm on the job 40, 60 yeah. hours a week. And so we, we're really excited about this, and, and we think that it's a program that will begin to expand around the country um, here into the future when, when more people really do learn what, what it is that Peru and the Department of Corrections have partnered on. Yeah, and I know it's it's been something you know from the governor's office and and probably Matt they've been trying to work on uh, and there's been different uh, you know different mechanisms to try to uh, bridge that gap. But um, boy, that sounds like a great program because you're right. I mean, if you just go right in from the get go and 40 hours a week, you're going to have burnout. You're going to have overtime. You're going to get stressed. Where if you're touching a little bit and you're learning from experienced people as well as getting the you know the the education through your system um you're on a a slower glide slope up mm-hmm. and um and you're really well prepared and that's exactly the model the military uses i mean we we use about in the ROTCs about 3 years of um education but mixed in with summertime training that then you know leads to your job and of course the service academies it's kind of full time mm-hmm. but the truth is the service academies are going to school and then they're doing the same things in the summer they're going yeah. out to see the fleet or you know the different jobs so yeah that's cool that's actually really cool yeah very innovative program so. without a doubt well we've got a couple of minutes left um let's see um well just just tell us i guess moving into the fall what, what's exciting and uh what can the students expect well, you know, I think the the nice thing is this is probably the first year where we don't enter our um, first couple of weeks of having masks and, and uh, the other types of things that came along with kind of the COVID protocol. And so I think for the most part, I think the, the return to normal is certainly what the vast majority of our students will experience when they sure. return back on all three of our campuses here this fall. Well, I think you've made a good choice, students, if you're going to Shadron State, Peru State, or Wayne State. Uh, Chancellor, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Appreciate you bet. it. 1499.3 KLIN. You're getting the 411 from DTL with Commander Jack Riggins on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, folks, we uh, just finished up an interview with the uh, Chancellor from the State College System, uh, Paul Terman. Really uh, good, overarching. Uh, Chancellor Terman knows his stuff and a lot of exciting programs in the state college system. Uh, tomorrow will be whatever Wednesday. Call in. Lines will be open. We haven't had the lines open. Um, but let's not forget about uh, Twitter Tuesday. Okay, Scott, you're sort of you're going to get third place. Yes, you gave me President Biden's tweet. I'm addressing the nation on a successful counterterrorism operation. Uh, yes, they killed, uh, I think, Al-Zahiri yesterday. Uh, Al-Qaeda, if you will, number two. Um, I'll give him a boom for that, uh, probably, Scott, in your tweet. The best thing there is when uh, the sign language lady is describing, like, you know, a drone strike, like a boom, if you will. The hand signals for a boom, um, at least for me. But, no, that's that's third place. Uh, no, that gets the silver. That gets the silver. Because the number one is double-vaxxed wife's guy's wife, um, who did not like... My picture talking with Kurt Penner about a lot of his programs at the county fair this weekend in a Twitter post where you double vaxxed wife guy's wife get the gold medal today because I don't know. You didn't like my look. 
She says, new and improved ways to look like an idiot. <laughs> and she zooms in on me. Uh, was it the sunglasses backwards? Maybe it's just my profile. I don't know. Yes, I can be an idiot sometimes. But what I would say to you for winning the gold medal is you're just, you just don't know fashion sense. You and your 198 Twitter followers just don't know fashion sense. Because the sunglasses on the back of the head, that is classic Southern California frogman. Classic golfer. And I think I look pretty good. But anyway, you did win Twitter Tuesday. 1499.3 KLIN.